the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Yes, and we are gathered together one more time on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Happens to be 504. As is the case every time I uh, open the mic here at uh, KFAX 1100 on your AM dial. 504-505 is launch time for those of us who love and covet and desire and look forward to the conversation and the dialogue and the the challenging of our minds and the the uh, engagement we, we, we all enjoy as part of the privilege of a uh, free radio, free a conversation, uh, the right to free speech, uh, and we can continue to work on and cultivate and uh, develop the way we think, the way we perceive life, how we handle issues that are before us. We try to do it from a biblical framework to be Christian in our thinking, Christian in our speaking, and Christian in our acting. I want to welcome you again to the Monday edition of Lifeline, your host, Jesse Gistan in the house with you. Glad to be here. Needless to say, coming off of another wonderful, wonderful, albeit challenging, uh, worshipful Sunday as um, as one of God's uh, cheerleaders and, uh, if you will, uh, individuals who are called to, to to exalt Him and to to hooray for Him and all that He has done for us and to get the people of God's. Uh, celebrating uh, the Savior and his redemptive uh, exploits to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and then to engage us in the practical obedience of faith that allows us to be able to share with men and women what the Lord has done for us. And I hope that's where you are in your walk in life today. I want to talk to you about probably, it's going to be probably one subject that can be broken up into two or three categories. Um, one overarching subject that I hope will stimulate conversation and uh, press through uh, phone calls and uh, your assessment and maybe even your um, your input where where that might be valuable. But I want to talk to you a bit about the conscience, the conscience. Uh, every human being has one. Um, to a lesser or greater degree, other animals do as well. But human beings have a conscience at the level that allows us to express and to exhibit uh, the qualities, those what we call in theology, those communicable qualities of God, uh, i.e. intellect, rationale, uh, intelligence, uh, moral and ethical judgments, uh, the ability because of uh, the capacity to reason through, we can assess what ought to be, we can assess what should be, uh, and we can assess what might be, unlike animals who do not have that level of intelligence predictability, human beings do. And because we do, we can map out our lives and map out events and anticipate things with levels of accuracy that um, that 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 allow us to stand out above the creatures we are called to rule over according to God's word. It's not popular with our world today that uh, we would espouse mankind to be the pinnacle of God's creation. He certainly does not behave that way by and large in many contexts of life. Certainly we're going to be talking about that here in a moment. I think it was Solomon who plainly said in the book of Ecclesiastes, all that men might know that they have no preeminence over the beast. For as the beast perisheth, so perisheth man. Now, what was Solomon saying? He was saying not that mankind is equivalent to the beast 
across the board. But he acts in such a way that in many ways, sometimes animals depict and exhibit more virtuous qualities than human beings. And I, listen, you guys are coming to understand that when you look at your world and see how how useful animals have been in the service of mankind and society at large. You begin to be aware that God has instilled in them the capacity to be subservient to a, a greater master, uh, even to the laying down of their lives. And, and we are aware of that particular virtue. It ought to be in the lives of human beings as well. But you don't find human beings uh, in the larger aggregate of humanity uh, living lives of sacrificial service to others. Their people, And in fact, what we would say is that until there is uh, some kind of redeemable uh, experience, transformational reality that takes place in the life of a human being, we are all largely what? Selfish, given over to our own fancies, uh, building monuments to our own glory, engaging in enterprises that really amount to nothing but the consumption of our own aspirations and gratifications and lust of the flesh. As the Bible says, all that's in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That is, unfortunately, the the <laughs> elegy of mankind. Not eulogy, but elegy of mankind. It is his it is it his it is his fundamental legacy that he is selfish. Now, having said that, getting back to my main topic that I want to talk about, the conscience, the conscience, the conscience. Why do I bring that up? Because over the last several months, even over the last several years, but for me, the last several months, I have been um, viewing, if you will, perusing and somehow peering into not only the Brett Kavanaugh, uh, you know, nomination and, and, and the fiasco that's surrounding him presently in terms of him becoming one of the Supreme Court justices. And yet and again, here he is engaged in a scandal that you and I know all too well. And that is the the scandal of man exercising such vile self-expression, one of the epitomes of selfishness to take another human being, whether male or female, in this context, female. And we can therefore add an addendum to our conscious uh, conversation today, and that is misogyny and um, a, a kind of a twisted human context by which men take advantage of women. You guys know that this is part of the legacy of fallen humanity since the beginning of time, that rape and, and misogyny and pillaging and, and, and uh, all forms of violation on the part of men to women have just draped and permeated the real history of civilizations and nations. I know you say amen to that because you are waking up to the reality that we are um, in a paradigm shift in uh, the Western culture around that, and rightly so and necessarily so for a number of reasons. But getting back again to my point, we want to talk about what today? The conscience. Now, here's why I am um, uh, making my way to that topic. It's because not only is uh, the uh, Brett Kavanaugh, the, the, the nomination for the Supreme Court justice on the part of our president, being run through the ringer, and rightly so, for things that he did many, many, many years ago, allegedly. Uh, and and there are uh, accusers who have come forth, as you know, Mrs. Ford is one, and then there are others, uh, allegedly as well, who have um, agreed that Brett Kavanaugh was one of these wild young men engaging in excessive drinking and partying uh, as a pattern of life and pathology of practice that um, makes him vulnerable to, if not factually. Um, proven to have engaged in crossing the line, disrespecting his female counterpart and having his way with her all because he's drunk, all because he's bigger than her, all because they are in a college scene that you and I know happens to be by and large for most large colleges, a, a, a bastion of debauchery. Let's tell the truth while we are establishing a context for our discussion here on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Bastions of debauchery is what colleges are and what Kavanaugh had said in an aside several weeks ago uh, and, and said it all through his career. 
uh, in politics and judiciary is that uh, he remembers his alma mater being a place where, you know, you kind of keep things among yourself because we can get a little rowdy and get, get a little, uh, you know, rambunctious and engage in things that really you wouldn't want the curtains pulled back on. Well, yeah, we, we, we're very much aware that that predominates many college campuses, particularly on the weekend or late at night when staff is not watching, watching or what have you. You know that's the case. But here's what I'm going to press into. I'm going to tie two men together because they're both in the spotlight. And one of them happens to be an individual for whom recently he has been condemned of having engaged in sordid, abusive uh, sexual violation of women. And that happens to be who? Mr. William Henry Cosby. Bill Cosby, as you guys know, has just recently been sentenced to three to 10 years in prison for having sexually violated a number of young women, but it was really only one or two that nailed him. However, what I want to do with this particular case scenario, while we are still sort of uh, holding our noses and waiting for the judgment to come on Brett Kavanaugh, because for him to become a Supreme Court justice um, will actually you know, be a problematic issue for our three forms of government, uh, knowing that once the Supreme Court has another so-called conservative on its uh, bench, that judgments can be weighed in the favor of the Republicans and conservatives. And that might make you feel good. I, I don't particularly care for it myself. God rules. Christ is the ruler over all things. And God's word is right no matter what men do. This is how I feel. Um, and, and you can argue. Argue with me if you want to on that uh, and the implications of a all liberal court system or the implications of an all uh, conservative court system. To me, that's a secondary issue that only has relevance, only has relevance in the reality of the fact that God sets up rulers and he puts down rulers and God can restrain even the vilest and wickedest of men to exercise, here we go again, a proper adjudication of conscience. But here's what I want to ask you as we're talking about Mr. Bill uh, Cosby, because when I thought about and I heard inadvertently, because I really wasn't tracking him recently about uh, where his court case was going, when I heard that he actually was sentenced, because believe you me, I thought that he would get off Scott clean only because he's part of the good old boys club, only because he's a billionaire and only because he could he could um, he could hire the best lawyers and only because we have had a track record now for many, many decades and probably centuries of powerful men getting away with the most horrendous crimes against women. Did he do it? I shared this with you guys years ago. I completely believe he has engaged in a pattern and pathology of the highest uh, sociopathic level of uh, taking advantage of women across the board. You don't have 50 women stepping out, sharing largely the same pattern of engagement as they encountered Mr. Cosby and there not be merit to it. Any, here we go again, healthy, conscious individual who has a healthy moral ethical framework, who has some sense of uh, a logical skill sets that can follow through patterns and realize when you have patterns that consistently that overthrow any kind of collusion and, 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 and makes it clear that we are propounding evidences, even if it's circumstantial against an individual, there is a likely of some validity on the part of the accusers. You heard me. There's a likelihood of some validity on the part of the accusers, particularly when there are 50 of them. But here's what I want you to think about before I go to the break, because I want us to think through what world you and I are living in. We are living in a world that by way of perception or inception, I'll expand later, uh, you and I are being impacted whether we know it or not. Whether you know it or not, the events that go on in your world, near or far, distant or intimate, impact the way your conscience works. Whether you know it or not, your conscience is being informed, being modified, 
uh, being diminished or enhanced, being made more effective or less effective by the things with which you are impacted every day far and near. So let me ask you the question as we go to the break. When you think about the diabolical nature of Mr. Cosby's brilliance in the field of his gifting, where he has become, bar none, the greatest model in Hollywood on television of the family man, the the the, the quintessential father figure with a wife and children whose interactions we have been able to watch for many decades and, and, and demonstrating the intricacies of their interfamily play, even with their struggles and challenges. Mr. Bill Cosby is a, a major contributor to how all of those sitcoms, all of those programs uh, built for him a, 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 a magnificent and brilliant testimony of what? Of what? A facade and depiction of what life could be if all of the parts uh, constituent to the image that was cast on his part and all those that worked with him in Hollywood or what I would call unholy wood or I would call it Hollywood, if you will, that place that puts out a facade, an image um, a trajectory of something that really does not have a reality behind it? How do you take the brilliance of a Mr. Bill Cosby, the diabolical brilliance of a Mr. Bill Cosby and all the work that he's done in the context of children and family and, and sitcoms and weigh it over against his own personal, monstrous, demonically controlled behavior that leaves him now in the public eye to be what has been called by the judge a a violent sexual predator. On the one hand, you've got this depiction of the best dad in the world. He's a He's a comedian. He's funny. Most of us dads aren't funny. We try to be comedians, but our kids say we're not funny. But he's a comedian. He's funny. He's brilliant. Uh, you know, he handles life like, you know, nobody else. He just, he just works it through and everybody's laughing, feeling good. He, he He's the black Mr. Rogers, if you will, with a bunch of other stuff added to it. Mr. Rogers had his own problems, but he's the black Mr. Rogers, if you will, with a bunch of stuff added to it. And he made everybody feel good only to be an absolute total opposite contrast and contradiction in his own personal life at the level of uncontrollability to which once the curtains are pulled back, he's worse than Pee Wee Herman. He's worse than a whole lot of individuals who had the same kind of poor, wretched, sinful maladies and took advantage of weaklings and vulnerable people, men, women, children, etc. How do you hold in tandem the impact of a Bill Cosby in the light and Bill Cosby in the dark, meaning Bill Cosby in the light, the real predator that he was, and Bill Cosby in the dark, the pretended hero, husband, father, um, supreme par excellence in the dark. How do you hold those two in tension and work through it theologically? How do you how do you work through the theological implications of the kind of mass manipulation, mass deception that Hollywood plays on human beings every day of our lives? How do you work that through to make sure that you build up a wall of defense over against the deceptive capacities of that kind of world with which there is a naivete in all of our souls to want to be in a place and in a space where we can be happy and enjoy life and think the best of human beings. And yet, in reality, every day we come to find out, as Christ so plainly said, that which is hid shall come out into the open. That which is in the dark shall come to the light. And as his servant Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 19, the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, deceitful and desperately wicked above everything you can imagine. Who can know it? 
We got to work through that. This is a Monday edition of Lifeline. Come back. We got more to say about that. And I want to hear from you. one 367 Because what we're talking about really has a lot to do with our children. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. All four lines are open. one 367 Jesse Giston in the house. Glad to be with you. Looking forward to talking with you about what the Bible says about a pure conscious, a good conscious, a clear conscious versus a reprobate conscious, a seared conscious. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 527. I've got three lines open. Want to talk about it. I'm talking to you about the conscious first. We'll define that, set some biblical parameters around that. But I'm doing that largely in light of uh, uh, the recent events with uh, Bill Cosby, as well as uh, Brett Kavanaugh, even though a judgment has not been cast upon him. We are dealing with the parallels of uh, powerful men, uh, prominent men who have had their way with women and in a way in which the women were helpless or perceived themselves as totally helpless, only to be able to have their day in court Uh, many, many years later when once uh, providence, if you and I will call it on a biblical level, le- a level, events took place and transpired that positioned those women to be able to speak out, cry out, Me Too movement, if you will. Uh, but before that, because the tables were stacked against them uh, relative to uh, the structures of our government, structures of our world, uh, we are very honest in the community with which I uh, dwell and engage and seek to cultivate and edify uh, walking in the light that we have lived for a long time in a hyper uh, ungodly patriarchal world, a hyper patriarchal ungodly world, a hyper ungodly patriarchal world. You can put the adjectives wherever you want to uh, behind or in front of patriarchy, meaning the good old boys club has operated since the fall of mankind largely uh, untouched, unassailed in, 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 in many ways because, well, that's, that's, that's what occurs when you have the power leverage. You can, you know, you can, you can act in a way uh, of getting away with, with crimes and, 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 and moral and ethical violations against your fellow man, and, uh, and no one is able to actually call you to account for it, and therefore um, you, you, you feel like you can do it over and over and over and over and over again. What drives a person like Mr. Um, Bill Cosby, William Henry Cosby, or even a Brett Kavanaugh, and I really don't put them ultimately in the same category. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh's problem, in my opinion, as I have observed and watched at length now, is his inability to actually handle alcohol. Because for him, it definitely played a major role in his inhibition process. And that's what makes alcohol dangerous, as Hosea puts it in the book of Hosea, chapter 14. He says, wine and women... Take away the heart. Wine and harlotry corrupts the heart. It destroys the heart. It 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 it, it, it diminishes the heart. It takes away a real heart. Heart being the center of man, the virtue of man, the power of man, the dignity of man, uh, the wealth of man, the worth of man when operating in the complexity of its own nature uh, with its priorities correct. Uh, a man of heart is a great thing to the world, but heartless men, as we talked about last week, hiding behind uh, computer screens and engaging in uh, surreal sex with images on the screen are men with problems. You would agree with that. Well, uh, the same would be true with men who could only engage women after he has been inebriated or only after he has inebriated them, which is a strange correlation between Kavanaugh and Cosby. Why? Well, with, with Kavanaugh, it, it, I think he kind of told on himself recently when he talked about that he didn't really have a drinking problem in college when it's very evident and even some of his friends are about to come out and say, yeah, 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 he would push it too far most times. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that just because he has a drinking problem, he did it. I believe he did do it, but I don't believe that just because a person has a drinking problem, 
they would engage in that kind of behavior. But you guys should know that alcohol leads to inhibition. And when inhibition, that is that that frontal lobe in your brain that holds the amygdala that that actually, as as it were, functions as an ethical break to tell you you need to stop right here before you cross the line and get into trouble, i.e. we are back at the what? The conscience. We're back at the conscience. What's going on in our world when we are faced with all of the stuff that you and I are listening to and seeing and observing, and how is it impacting your conscience? How does it impact the conscience of your children? I hope to get to it before the second hour is up. How to nurture a good conscience in your children. A healthy conscience. Because I can tell you if we, we, if we went the psychobabble route, the psych, psychological route, and we wanted to just assert that there was a problem in their childhood where their conscience wasn't healthy because they were wounded in some kind of way, afflicted in some kind of way, that by the time they became a teenager that they were predisposed to do what they did. Um, one might be able to argue that if there's enough tangible evidence there that a child that grows up without a healthy conscious, and I've got about 10 uh, qualifiers for conscious that the Bible sets forth, a good conscious, a clear conscious, a pure conscious, a clean conscious. And then the Bible talks about an evil conscious, a defiled conscious, a reprobate conscious, a seared conscious. We can talk about all those. Nevertheless, what it's really dealing with is that faculty in mankind by which he could know right and wrong in an almost infallible way if he were to have taken care of his conscience or in the case of parents with children, parents helping their children develop good consciences. Are y'all with me now? Because you see, here's the problem. When our kids are uh, exposed to school and exposed to the world and are out there on their own. If we have not helped them develop a good conscious, a healthy conscious, um, a, a conscious that is strong and rooted in sound moral ethical principles, and we would say that that is fundamentally rooted in biblical truth, they're not going to be able to handle this world of crazy very well. And we look up frequently, don't we? And we'll find that people who have committed some of the most heinous crimes have had a conscience that has been uh, dislodged, uh, malfunctioning, uh, evil, defiled, seared, and reprobated conscience. And how did that occur? That's why I'm talking to you about it, because if you have little ones, young young adults, young teenagers, you know you're going to get into some trouble with them. How can we avoid our children growing up and becoming maybe a, a Bill Cosby or a Jeffrey Dahmer or some of the others who have developed the, the history of doing some of the most atrocious things to mankind, their fellow mankind? And they went to church. Got to take a break. I've got three lines open. one 367 What do you say about the impact of a Bill Cosby in the light and in the darkness on our culture and on our world and in your own life? one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back at the time, 539, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm talking about the conscience. I'm talking about that thing that is called the faculty of the inner man by which we know literally conscience in the English is to know with that faculty by which we have intuitive knowledge. And that intuitive knowledge is not omniscience, is not is not knowing, you know, facts here, there uh, on, on a on an empirical level. It is an intuitive knowing of what would be right and wrong. This is kind of an element that God instills in mankind that is part of the communicable attributes of God. God is a God of righteousness and justice. And as such, God knows right and wrong. And he has put that in you and I as well, that he has given us the ability to know what is right and what is wrong and that there are consequences to our actions. Now, that knowing, that conscience, according to Romans chapter 2 and many other places in the Bible, has to be developed. It has to be informed. It has to be trained. It has to be disciplined. But then not only does it have to be informed, developed, trained, disciplined, that is pouring truth into it by which it can be a healthy conscience, but that it can also be a clear conscience. 
a conscience that's not muddled up by a lot of experiences that would cloud its capacity to serve in judgment, assessment, discernment, the ability to determine what's right and what's wrong. Um, A good conscience, as the Bible would speak of, is what we would be aiming at, a good conscience before God, where that conscience has been cleared. That's another way uh, of putting it, a clear conscience, a good conscience, a healthy conscience. It's a conscience that walks right with God over against the standards of God by which God weighs out our good and our evil. And we, not only uh, ourselves individually, but our culture as well, we will go, that's bad or that's good. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the early days of our uh, training and education in our homes or wherever our uh, place of native existence was. uh, We are being trained, are we not? And you guys know that the conscious can be completely uh, thrown off track if a child grows up in a community where so many bad things are going on that that's the normative experience of life so that the child has a very poor self-conscious. And how does that how does that speak to where you and I are today? Well, when I think about Bill Cosby and the way he's actually handled this whole case, he I see a man with a real problem, not only with his conscience, because his conscience has been seared for so many years, but a man who is demented, a man who is pathological, a man who probably has a classical case of absolute narcissism mixed with a a, a kind of morbid uh, sociopathy uh, where he can harm people and kind of rationalize it in his mind. How did he operate on one level? to be so brilliant uh, in the eyes of the public as an entertainer, uh, then ultimately to be the kind of person that behind the scenes is just, well, you know, almost satanic. And here's the reason why I'm putting this out to you, even though I'm not getting any calls right now. Here's the reason why. The relevance of our topic is that today as I speak, daughters and sons are being molested by the lowest of life and the most prominent and powerful people in all sectors of our society who actually think they are above the law. Your elementary school teachers, coaches, principals, your parochial school teachers, coaches, principals, your secular school teachers, coaches, principals, your churches, all of the spheres in which we operate There are these predators there ready to take advantage of your children where we are not careful and leave them in spaces where they can be touched, handled, and impacted in their little psyche and therefore in their conscience. If we are not taking the lessons that are right in front of our faces and learning from them, so I want to ask you the question. I'm going to ask you one more time before I go to break, and then I'll take your phone calls. I'll, I'll keep talking to you. What is the theological implication on the larger scale of a Mr. Bill Cosby? Because he's just a microcosm of a larger issue, as you know. What is the theological implication of it? What, what, what is the theological implication of the conscience of our society that could... Um, allow such a thing to take place on such a magnificent level. What is the theological implication of our conscience to allow? I mean, there are a, a list of men, powerful men, and they're probably women too. They'll have their day coming, I'm sure. They do stuff behind closed doors. We believe in the total depravity of men and women. But what is the theological implication of a culture in which we live where we can you know, basically see and uh, recognize that uh, these kinds of things occur, uh, and then we keep it moving. I mean, we got a president in the White House. Not like he's the first one, but y'all know what was going down all during the time he was being vetted for president, all of these allegations. Don't you remember? And wouldn't it be on the same par if he could grab a crotch? An unwanted touching of a private part of a female? Uh, And then Kavanaugh rubbing up against a 15-year-old girl and Cosby putting, you know, drugs into the wine, water, or whatever for women consistently and knocking them out. And they wake up and there he is having his way. 
I mean, this goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And, and, and not to even mention, not to even mention what goes on at auntie's house, a cousin's house, a grandpa's house, a papa's house. You know what I'm talking about. How does this, how does the theological element play out in all of this for you? And, and what kind of answer would you give when you enter into conversation at your desk, at your office around these things? What kind of biblical conversation trajectory would you take the opportunity about a Bill Cosby or a Brett Kavanaugh or a President Trump or a Bill Clinton and a litany of others that we all know who have engaged in these kind of morbid practices? How do you take this opportunity to be theological about it and try to help? Uh, here's a good way to put it. Wash the conscience. Purge the conscience, cleanse the conscience of the defilement of our larger social immorality that seems to just dump on us over and over and over again. John MacArthur had it right. We are experiencing in the Western culture a diminishing conscience to where we don't actually have any outrage about most anything that goes on right outside our own doors. But I warn you. If you have children, if you have young teenagers, you have young adults, they've uh, they've probably bumped into some of these creeps, some of these people, some of these individuals, if not have had some bad experiences. And for those of you who have children yet, how are you going to shape their consciences so that they don't grow up to be pathological liars, pathological uh, predators, pathological uh, uh, behavior patterns that lead to the kind of crossing the boundaries in relationship to um, uh, their fellow men. How are you going to do that? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One more time, we're going to take another break, then we'll come back and press a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper into your responsibility and mine to walk in the light. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back 550 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Since you folks don't want to talk to me about this matter, I'll just keep talking about it myself. And it'll be in the archives for people who want to um, go back and listen. And what did uh, Pastor Jesse talk about on the Monday show? We talked about Bill Cosby. We talked about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. We talked about a pattern in our hyper uh, patriarchal, ungodly patriarchal society, because there is a godly patriarchal society that would never uh, engage as a norm this kind of behavior and atrocity over men uh, over children and and women that just wouldn't happen i'm speaking about this because of the relevance of it, it being employed in our culture today and i'll go to line number one and talk with james in the bay about this james are you there Yes, sir, I am. Just how you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? What's, what's your thoughts about my topic today, man? It's just you and me. Nobody else seems to want to engage me on this particular topic. I think it's a, I think it's a supremely important topic around the issue of the conscience and, uh, and, and the fact that this uh, behavior pattern on the part of men towards women, particularly with prominent persons like Bill Cosby and here to for uh, Brett Kavanaugh, really should be uh, discussions among the people of God as well. For two reasons, and then I'll give you the space. One is whenever God gives us a public forum uh, with individuals who are as prominent on the platform as Bill Cosby and, and Brett Kavanaugh, and we could go back to Bill Clinton and we could go back to the others and even as recently as Donald Trump as well. Whenever God gives that kind of uh, expose to us, the believer is to do what the proverb says. The righteous wisely consider it the house of the wicked while God destroys that house anyway, because you and I need to be able to discern and talk about and give an answer to men and women as to how this kind of evil could take place and what should be the righteous consequent to it on the part of people who are walking in the light. So what say ye? Well, just have to admit, I almost bit, uh, when you uh, refer to Bill Cosby as the uh, white Mr. Rogers. So yeah. No, 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 I can't bite on that. I can't bite on that. Because then that would that, that, that would change the bar. That would change the measuring stick. I think one of the issues, obviously, we have 
not just outside the church, but inside the churches, like I said, the lack of a willingness to be able to discuss these things intelligently without having, without being stirred emotional. You know, in other words, we don't, in other words, if we don't, uh, excuse me, if we don't allow Christ to be the narrative, then we're in trouble. Okay, so when we start talking about all those outside of it, well, I mean, what else can we expect? And then I guess what I'm, my, my thought is this, is that if I, as a, a black man, use uh, my white brothers as the benchmark, then I have a problem. Okay. Christ should always be my benchmark. That should always be uh, my measuring stick. So if we continue to do that, when the Scripture clearly says that, we just clearly said it, why do you call me good? There's no one good but, uh, but my Father. That means everybody else comes far short. And if we don't have the Scriptures to shape our conscience, starting, like, starting off in Deuteronomy 6, and the things we ought to do, and how, and how we ought to be raising our children, you say, how do we get this inside of our children? I'm totally convinced, I'm completely persuaded, that if at our earliest, at a child's earliest uh, days, I'm talking about right after conception, right when they're in the womb, uh, a, a believing, uh, a, a believing husband and wife, a believing uh, mother and father, are ministering to that child from the beginning. That's what begins to shape a child's consciousness. But you also alluded to the "quote unquote" new normal of the uh, amount of uh, abuse that generally, well, I guess, it's not limited to minorities, but. It definitely affects them on it seems like on higher levels of things that they experience is like their it's like their new normal. That's all they really know. And so it's you know it's really really tough. By the, by the grace of God, you know I escaped those you know uh, those sort of issues. But then come to find out, they weren't that far from me. So whether I was ignorant to it, whether I was just uh, 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 whether I was just hedged in. Where, where I had protection around me, where I didn't experience those that, but experience those things such as that, I'm grateful. Uh, I, I'm grateful. But obviously, there are others who have experienced it, and it would be up to us as the people of God, having the mind of God, with a conscience of God, to be able to bring some correction, you know, to you know, you know, to whatever the situation is, whatever the issue is, and bring it back to the narrative of our Lord and Savior. Other than that, we would be all over the place. Right. I mean, again, it, I mean, again, if the Lord Jesus Christ used language like, woe unto you, you scribes and hypocrites, I mean, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, that's, to me, that's very strong language right there. And that was used inside the, the body of belief. So, now, where else, so where else do we go? Right. Now, I, I would agree with you, in, by and large, that the standard should be Christ. I think I would remove the boundaries of distinction between the body of Christ and the world on a number of levels here that I think will, you might appreciate. Um, I just did a message yesterday out of Luke 13 where our Lord took the behavior of Pilate, where he took the uh, the, the Galileans and mingled their blood and their sacrifices and just, just slaughtered multiple uh, dozens of, 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 of them in the presence of their people uh, to the utter uh utter a shock of their people that uh, a roman ruler would come into uh their community and do that now mind you he's a roman ruler so he's not a christian mind you the galileans are um part of uh, a hybrid of Samaritans and Gentiles and then maybe some 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 low-level Jews. So we're not talking about the aristocratic uh, Judites down in Jerusalem and near Judah. Uh, but Christ uses that to launch into uh, a moral ethic, ethical uh, discourse in a parabolic way about bearing good fruit. And so I say that what God has done for us in the 21st century where you and I are is allowed us to see our fellow men not as disconnected from us altogether, because Bill Cosby not, uh, Brett Kavanaugh is not, Bill Clinton is not, Donald Trump is not, and all the litany of other persons who have had a platform but have demonstrated themselves to be exactly what the Bible says, sinners, uh, who can uh, reach certain heights with their gifts and reach certain lows with their depravity. 
they are not off. Um, they are not off the market for discussion. Uh, the distinction truly is, as you stated, there's only one righteous and that's Christ himself in the ultimate and quintessential sense. But we are still called to make a judgment assessment and, and delineate as to what should be, what ought to be over against what is and show how the word of God speaks relevantly to that. That's why you did engage me in the topic around how to raise our children, because what I'm doing, James, is talking about when you look at a grown man, almost uh, 90 years old with Bill Cosby, he was a boy at one time. When you look at a Brett Kavanaugh, he was a boy at one time. And the people that are listening in my audience that are not calling, they were children at one time and their kids are children right now. What has God done? He's allowed us to have the theater of the world brought right to us so that we are not walking in the naivete. And you'll get this of, a, of what is often the um, consequent of religious communities that so makes a distinction between the world and the church in terms of social compatibility that the community of the church knows nothing about what the word of God has to say in a poignant, prophetic uh, and redemptive and evangelical way about what's going on right outside the doors. They're naive to it and therefore blinded from the relevance of it and therefore unequipped to reach the lost man because of it, because we have created a faulty dichotomy. But secondly, everything that's going on out there is going on in the church there is no doubt about it. So when I take an opportunity to, to simply lift up on the platform of Bill Cosby, I'm expanding the consciousness of everyone listening around uh, how it could be that a, a particular sinful behavior pattern operating within the framework of hypocrisy, which we all know too well in the church, uh, uh, molestation goes on in the church. I don't need an amen from you because I know you know that uh, 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 immorality is rampant in the church. Sexual perversion, homosexuality, lesbianism, uh, 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 the, the hierarchical domination of males over females rampant in the church. You don't even all we're doing now is using one individual who would hallmark and represent lots of people inside the church. So when we look at the behavior pattern, we don't get to give the church a pass on that by saying, well, that's not in the church. So we need to, we can kind of basically say, what else do we expect? Here's what we have to say. I believe here's what we have to say. I believe I have to say that when we look at Bill Clinton, I mean, Bill Cosby, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump and all the others who are notorious for these, you know, uh, Mr. Kennedy, uh, uh, John F. Kennedy and all the others who are notorious for these kind of womanizing lack of inhibition principles and and patterns in their lives that were just everybody knew it. But uh, ignorant folk, everybody knew it. But ignorant folk, when we look at them, we have to go. That's somebody in the pew. And not somebody in the pulpit, I guarantee you. Now, that being the case, the phone should be ringing off the hook with uh, people who know by either close proximity like yourself, because you said you were you uh, after a while you discovered that you, you did. You didn't see it when you were younger. But as you got older, you picked up on some hints going on in the family. Well, believe you me, I was a direct consequence of that uh, malevolent behavior as a child that I was. I know what that kind of uh, predatorial domination is like when you don't have parents who have trained you accurately and have protected you adequately from these kind of Mr. Roger type individuals. And the reason I try, I tied the parallel between uh, Mr. Rogers and Bill Cosby, the parallels are perfect. And I'll share with you why. And the reason why I put them together is because uh, white folks might look at Bill Cosby and say, that's how black folks are. And black folks will look at Mr. Rogers and go, how white folks are. This is not a black white thing. I'm just taking two people and doing this. I'm showing you how we can be as clean and driven and pure as the wind driven snow outwardly and have real problems behind the scene. Pee Wee Herman was like that. You know that white guy uh, loving on kids, and yet he has an absolute picadillo around children and around porn and all of that kind of stuff. And what I'm saying to us is we have to be able to make a clear distinction between reality and a figment of our imagination that gets perpetuated every day and perpetrated every day in Hollywood, that what we see on the screen is not reality, and we have to be careful to remember 
remember that even while we're being entertained by it. Otherwise, we will find ourselves, as a lot of women were doing in the early days when Bill Cosby began to have these allegations raised up against him. I had him even calling me, talking about they're just trying to knock down another black man. I'm saying, whoa, stop. Do you remember when you were a child and that teacher or that, that schoolyard uh, monitor touched you in a way that you just, you know, you go, you went, whoa, whoa. Well, that was Bill Cosby. I can tell you that now. That was Bill Cosby. Mm. That was Bill Cosby. Uh, over and over and over and over and over again. And, and what I'm saying to the people who won't call is, do you know how that impacts a child's conscience when an authority figure or an adult, or a big brother, or a big sister touches you the wrong way, and you look around and you go, there's no one for me to, I don't even know how to process this. Now your conscience is assaulted. And if you're, and this is why there's an article I have on my, 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 my desk here, Seven Ways to Teach Your Children About the Conscience. I'll talk about it uh, a little bit before we close, just to show how parents have to respond to a Bill Cosby and a Brett Kavanaugh and, and, and a Donald Trump because they are closer than we want to admit. Uh, and we have to be able to teach our children how to have such a high moral ethical standard in their conscience that they scream and shout the moment that somebody crosses that line. Otherwise, they won't know what to do with that, misinterpret that, and particularly if they are needy. And I know you, you already know this because you've been working with children for a long time. If you're, if you're a needy child, emotionally needy, you're going to allow that to happen to you all your life. And then if you grow up and you don't have a healthy worldview and don't know how to interact with the same sex or the opposite sex, you're going to determine to either be a predator or you're going to be one of those weird people that reduce themselves to a room with a computer and uh, are operating out of antisocial behavior patterns. Listen, man, thank you for the call. I got to take a break. When I come back, I'll holler at Hassan. I've got three lines open if you guys want to talk about it, if you want to talk about it, because I can tell you, but the reality is, is we are all living, walking consciences, consciences and how the word of God impacts us will be determined by how clear or muddled our conscience is when we sit in the pew or listen to a preacher. Believe you me, your conscience is a prism. But if it's clogged up in its its grid, it doesn't have the ability to actually rightly divide the word of truth or even discern evils in our world in a way that we can be helpful to people. That's my aim today. We've got 40, we've got a whole hour. I've got three lines open. I want to hear from some of you. one 367 5329 I'll say it again. one 367 5329 Thank you, James, for your contribution. I'll look forward to others calling in a few minutes. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com